Hey guys, welcome to Softcat Syndicate Podcast. Have you ever thought about being an attorney or wondered what your attorney actually did in his off time? We got Andrew Holiday with us today. We get into what it's like to go to law school, and then we get into how to structure businesses in some aspects. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Liz, and you're listening to the Southcac Syndicate Podcast. Episode 50. We haven't, we haven't said episodes go, in a while. Anyway, welcome to the Southcac Syndicate Podcast. You're listening to Kyle Voss. Jared. Mr. Ketterman in the house. Jared here. Yeah. Man, so, episode 50 episodes. Yeah, this is a, this is a, I'm not going to say it's a big one, but it definitely hits the radar. It's, uh, I mean, most, we talked about this a while back. Most podcasts that start, 99% does two episodes and then they quit because nobody listened to them. That's what they say. They never take the steps to follow through to see what happens. You know what happens. They do it and they're like, nobody's going to listen to this, Mm -hmm. which is what we did, (laughs) but we didn't care. Yeah. Hello, Australia. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And New York. All kinds of places now. It's crazy that you got a, like a favorite episode. Oh man. One that just kind of like, bam. I don't know. I like them all for their own reasons. I do like them all. Yeah. They're all, they're all good in their own way. I agree. So cool. Cool. Thanks for uh, supporting South Cac Syndicate podcast for 50 solid episodes. Today's going to be an interesting day. We brought our attorney along for some legal Q&A. Not really, but maybe. Yeah. I asked him before we started, I'm like, do we need the disclosures? Do we need to disclose that we're not, that we're just bumbling idiots before before the podcast starts? We have have opinions. We are not claiming this is legal advice. Yeah. Don't take our advice and investing legal advice, tax advice, nothing. I do not have a JD. A, a jurist doctorate doctrine jurist doctrine doctor doctor all right so today we have dr andrew <laughs> holiday it wouldn't be it'd be just andrew holiday attorney at law there you go right yeah welcome I mean, to the podcast andrew it could be doc holiday for you oh god we need a button doc holiday we do need a button i was button. i was just talking to mark about that Shout out to Mark. Mark is, uh, if you listen to last week's episode. That's right. We have him in the building. Uh, he is our new intern. Yeah, we've been asking for an intern on like the last 15 episodes. Um, we handed the keys to Mark Beatrice on the last episode to let him interview us for yep. once. And uh, we hired him right after the podcast. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, be cool. Hopefully we can. Uh, super cool. It all works out. I mean, he's, you know, he's still doing his school thing and whatever. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try to work around his schedule. But uh Hopefully it all works out. Way to go, Mark. All right, Doc Holiday, Andrew Holiday. So give us a uh, give us a little background. Like how long you've been practicing law? Where'd you go to school? Where'd you grow up? Certainly. Yeah. So uh, I was raised in Traveler Trust. Um, went to Furman after uh, after high school for, for undergrad. Went to law school down in Charleston. Um, came up to to Seneca, kind of a, a god thing. Uh, in in 2014, I had a had a good friend in in law school that we had started a Bible study with, Derek mm-hmm. Bush, um, who had interned uh, or clerked with uh, one of your former guests, Paul Kane. Ah, okay. yeah, I love Kane. And so uh, so Derek was working for Paul. Um, they needed somebody to do some uh, some estate planning, some some family law litigation, um, and just kind of help round out the team and. I had had a job offer in Charleston that ultimately fell through. Sure. And uh, wound up talking to Derek, and it, and it worked out. And uh, so I worked for, for Paul for two years, and then have been with Derek Ritter-Wounds and Morris in Seneca since then. So I was in 14, so nine, nine years in November. Right on. Was, so, it, uh, was it tough to go to college in Charleston? Did you go to Charleston well, Southern? Law school. Law school in Charleston. In that college? No, well, it's law it's school. different, yeah. Okay. Really. You stay out of trouble it's, when you're in law school. It's, it's a lot less fun. Do you, <laughs> you should. Do you? You should stay out of trouble when I you're in law Charleston school. I think Charleston just comes with trouble if you know where to find it, and it doesn't matter if you're in law school or doctor school or uh, anywhere. I think you're by then, by the time you make it to law school, you, you should be a little more aware of your surroundings. <laughs> and, and you have a lot less free time. That's true, yeah, too. Fair you're, enough. You're wide open. Did you like seek out like you knew that's where you wanted to go? Did you know that you after high school you're like I'm going to be a lawyer when you were nine years old or ninth grade senior year or was it just like eh? No, it was it was a college thing. So my grandfather was a physician. He really wanted me to go to med school. 
Um, my first two years at Furman, I was a biology major. Re- really enjoyed it. Still really enjoy science and, and learning about that. So you're headed down that path. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I did an internship at GHS one summer in between sophomore and junior years of, of college and saw these 30-something-year-old residents basically being worked to death. Um, and I was like, I, I don't want that. Yeah, living in scrubs 24 hours a day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I, one of my best friends from college um, went to med school, did a six-year residency, did a two-year fellowship, and at 34 has just gotten his first real job. Wow. And I bet it comes with a lot of debt. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really expensive. They did don't- you scholarship in to Johnson? No. No. Unfortunately, that was, that was full freight. I had, had a decent bit of help at Furman, but uh, didn't get a nickel at Charleston. You know, most people grow up and say, oh, I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer. But you literally said, I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know which one yet. Literally, <laughs> I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer, okay? Leave well, me alone. Well, the funniest thing is I, I came home from that, that internship one night and was talking to my mom. And uh, I was dating a girl at the time whose father was a, was a family law attorney. And, um, you know, I'd had some interaction with, with them. And, and I, I just said, I don't, I don't want to be a doctor. You know, I want to I talk to, to Jim a little bit about this. Um, and, and so kind of made my mind up before coming back to junior year that I needed to switch majors from biology to political science um, and, and switch gears and, and go to law school. Yeah. It's, well, it's a different flavor of being able to help people. I'm sure. I'm sure. Servant's heart, right? Yeah. Well, and I guess, too, in both, both aspects, right? You got whether you're a lawyer or a doctor, there's so many flavors of that business. Like, you yeah. know, you, you, you're a doctor. You could be, there's so Any much stuff you could be doing. Yeah. All the way to, like, plastic surgery to, I mean, I guess that's more on the surger, surgeon side. But, but still a doctor. But still, yeah. It's, I mean, you, you could really go anywhere you want to. Same thing with what you do. Like you could be like, you know, you could actually be litigating stuff or you could just be pushing papers. I mean, you could really pick either side that you wanted to in, in every aspect of and it's law. Weird. It's weird. The older we get, now I'm my doctor. I go to the doctor and I'm like, come on. How old are you, dude? <laughs> like, you are not sticking a needle even, in my arm. Do you even know? And even now it's like with Andrew, my attorney's like, Come on, dude. <laughs> you need to be like 20 years older than me, not younger than me. I had a couple come in last week or the week before, and they said, we really thought you'd be a lot older than us. <laughs> and I said, well, how old are you? And they said, well, we're, we're 37 and 38. Um, we were doing some wills. And, uh, and I said, well, I'm actually younger than you. Um, and they weren't terribly fond of that, to, to yeah. your point. yeah, yeah. There's only a few people in the world that I want, like I would encourage college to. I want my lawyer to have a degree. I want my doctor to have a degree. Oh, yeah, for sure. I want my pilot to have a degree. Yeah. <laughs> Past that, you know. You, you want your pilot to have experience. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, technically, I'll, everything is like that, right? I mean, a doctor that's right out of med school, if you're, you're his first knee surgery, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I mean, he, the education helps. Well, and the, the, but somebody's got to go first. Somebody's got to go first. Somebody's yeah. going to go first. The, the thing that's really frustrating with that is when that doctor does his first knee surgery. Let's let's just say he's thirty something years old. Then when he when he does it first by himself, mm-hmm. or maybe he's in his late twenties, but he's seen that throughout residency. Oh yeah, he's sat it. in on tons and tons. Exactly, of them. he's been at that doctor's elbow when he's done it. The, the really frustrating thing about law school to me, and and frankly, one of the things I think Charleston did really well is getting you experience outside the classroom because that's not something law school has to do. Yeah. That's not some, something law, some law schools encourage, um, you know, but, but getting that hands-on experience. They had like people, labs, they, they like should, real, real they, life labs for lawyers to practice in small city courts or something like that? They, they, they should. Um, and to some extent, they're, they're kind of moving that way through, through externships and internships, and, sure. and there are kind of some opportunities to kind of practice as a law student as long as you're supervised. I guess you could be a co, co, what do they call that? Co-counsel. Co-counsel, right? Kind and of. And you learn, you kind of learn some of the ways and whatnot. But, but that's one of my frustrations with, with that part of the education system is that it's, it's three years, uh, law school's three years. You know, there, there are some fundamentals that you've, you've got to learn. Yeah. But Aside from that and taking some electives in some areas where you think you might be interested, 
Um, I, I really wish there was some time that was, that was mandated uh, in, in their curriculum that says, you've got to go out and get some hands-on experience. Because once upon a time, before there were law schools, you became a lawyer by reading the law. Yeah, yeah, you'd read the books. That's exactly. why all these law offices had, you know, and just stacks. Yeah. Of, but you would literally yeah. have to pull that Correct. book out yeah. and find a, and, an example and, of a previous case or something. And it was, an, it was a true apprenticeship. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. We, we dove in deep last week on, uh, you know, education versus uh, experience. experience. And there's a place for both, obviously. But, man, there's stuff you learn in experience that, you, that the school, you can't learn in school. You know, there's positions that you're put in that there's no way to mimic that in a classroom. Was high school easy for you? Like, would you just kind of breeze through it and have a good time? Breeze through it, I mean. Yeah, have a good time. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really learn how to study till I was studying for the bar. I mean, I, I, I wasn't a great student in college or law school because kind of like what you're saying, I was just checking a box. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I knew that that was not the end-all, be-all. I knew that within a year or two, maybe even less, my grades wouldn't matter. Like, I don't, I don't think Paul Kane asked me what my GPA was when he hired me straight out of law school. Yeah. I know that my current firm, when I started working for them, after practicing law for two years, they didn't care at all because they had already seen what I did yeah. when I practiced. So the same thing goes with degrees now. I mean, I, I know my mother works for for Apple, and she does not hire based on degree. Mm-hmm. She smart. I mean, there's stuff I guess they have to do, but that's not like you know a prerequisite. Like she wants somebody with she would hire experience over degree any day. Right. I don't know why they even have. You know, highest level of education. Did you graduate high school? Just if you didn't check the box, nobody's called Wahala High to see if um, I graduated. The, yeah, I mean, but, but what on. you don't is want this, to happen is this you, an admission that you didn't graduate. <laughs> no, <laughs> it is an admission that I can't believe I graduated. Yeah, me, but me yeah, either. what you don't want to happen though is you don't want to get the job, and then years down the road find out that you don't have that degree that you're supposed to have or but, whatever. But what? And then they have to let you go because you're not because you didn't graduate. Come on, I know. I know you could be a, the greatest employee too, and they'd be like, "Mark, graduate." Don't listen to this part, yeah. but I'm just saying, like, I mean, maybe. Like, and we talk about like our grandparents, and if we look at our great grandparents, I bet forty percent might have graduated high school because the other sixty percent they were needed in the field. Work. Yeah, go to work or whatever or the business work. they were working we're, on to put food on the we're table. We're not an agrarian society anymore, so I mean, that's. I'm not saying it's not important to check that box for high school or college or, or some sort of post-secondary education. I, I'm, I'm just saying it's, it's a different time. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. but I also agree with you that the, the degree really shouldn't matter. I mean, some of yeah. the most successful business owners I've ever met, to your point, mm-hmm. don't even have high school yeah. degrees. I, mean, I, mm-hmm. I think part of the problem, too, is that people have become – I think a degree helps – but I think there was a time period, you know, probably our generation or slightly before it, where everybody went to college. And then you had this, these people coming into the workforce that felt like they deserved the job just because they had the degree. Mm-hmm. So there, there, there's no earning it anymore. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, I got the degree. You should hire me. Yeah. Now you got lawyers that come out of law school and there's no openings. They're stacked with debt and they're yeah. working at Starbucks. Well, and the best ones get the job, which is how it should be. Right. Right. Which is why the trades are coming back, I think, because nobody went to trade school. Mm-hmm. You know, now everybody's going to trade school. So it's going to have this pendulum where you had all of these people that went to college, got these degrees, finance degree, what, you mm-hmm. name it. Right. Nobody did trades. Trades were for the blue collar guys. That's right. Now there's a huge demand for trade workers mm-hmm. and they can name their price. Well, high schools used to teach, you know, you're going to graduate here and then let's, let's look at colleges for you next because that's the yep. next step in life. Nobody said, hey, if you learn to weld and you go on the road, you'll make 250 a year. Yeah, no debt. You know, and you've, yeah. you've got to trade for life. But I think what's going to happen is it'll either equal out or it'll go back the other way, where you're going to have so many people that are going to go in the trade fields. And I still think that the, you know, the, the, the upper class students will probably still go be lawyers and doctors. Like, I don't think that's ever going to end. And but I think it's, it's generational, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, but my granddad was a lawyer, and so my dad was a lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. Yeah, and I think being a doctor or lawyer is a little bit different, too. You know, I think what happened is in those years, you had so many art majors, and you had so many finance majors and business majors that nobody ever did anything with. Yeah. 
you know, being a lawyer or a doctor is a little different. You know, you're kind of biting off a big chunk to chew right there. You, you know, you know what you're getting into. On give us an idea. You don't have to be exact. Give us an idea of what what it costs to go to law school. <clears throat> is it a hundred grand? Is it fifty grand? Is it? It 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 really depends on where you go, and it depends on uh, how you live. So my my grandfather, like I said, was a physician, and one of the things that he told me um, was live like a law student while you're in law school, so you can live like a lawyer when you're a lawyer. Because what he said was when he was in med school, a bunch of people living like they were doctors. They weren't making that money. It's even worse today where the federal government subsidizes that. They'll give you tons of money. So, I mean, I I had friends that I went to law school with. They were going out to halls in downtown Charleston every two, three nights. They were living large. And they've got massive student debt. So I wasn't married my first year um, in, in law school. I got married to Val. Uh, in between first year and second year at law school. And so she she helped support me through the, the second and third year. The first year, I wound up borrowing something like $14,600 that whole year. That was my rent that I, I split an apartment with a buddy. Um, that was food. That was books. That was everything but tuition. So That's just living money. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, when you think about it, that's pretty doggone cheap. Yeah, that is cheap. For for rent, <clears throat> food, a little bit of beer. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm yeah. Sure, a lot of bourbon. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so that's that's how cheaply and and we continued to live pretty frugally after that. Um, because we were we were one income house for, for the first two years of our yeah. marriage. Yep. Um and it couldn't couldn't have done it without Val. Um but then tuition, I wanna say that was somewhere in the upper 20s or something like that, a year, uh-huh. 30. Oh, a year. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it's come up some since so then. I think, I think all in, it was probably somewhere in the 120-ish, 140-ish God. ballpark. Yeah. Does your employer but, absorb some of that when you sign on to a law firm? I think it depends on where you work. I mean, I, I believe some, some firms have, sure. have sign-on bonuses, but not like a direct... Payment system. Yeah. I would guess there's some firms potentially that if they feel like you're, you know, very sought after, they'll lock you down while you're in law school and say, hey. Yeah, but do they have like first draft, first round pick in law school? It's not really how that works. How that system works is through summer clerkships. So where you're clerking in the summer um, typically helps figure out where, where you're going to wind up, especially with the larger firms. <laughs> I, I never had a desire to work at a larger firm. I always wanted to work in a small firm, really wanted to work at a small firm in a small community. Um, you know, my, my grandfather started Traveler's Rest Family Practice, um, 1950, 51, something like that. Um, and that's kind of what I envisioned for, for myself, um, was, was being in a smaller community. You know all your clients, they come see you all the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Go to church with them, run yeah. into them at the grocery store, um, see, see them like all over Andy the place. Andy Griffith kind of. Yeah, and that, yeah, I think that's what I would want too. Yeah, you know, if I was in his yeah. shoes. Yeah, I mean, it's, to be fair, it's not always ideal to to run into a client uh, <laughs> uh, in the grocery store. Uh, what's even worse is running into somebody that you're suing in the grocery store. Oh yeah, uh, which which definitely happens. Um, but it's just life. It's it's just you know part of being in a in a small community. I mean, yeah. what are there, eighty something thousand people in the county? I yeah. Mean, yeah, 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 a little north of eighty thousand. So I mean. It's small county. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Or you're like talking to your counsel in the grocery store and you run into the guy you're suing at the same time. <laughs> Back up, guys. Yeah. My, my, my wife and I have a, have a joke. She doesn't know who all my clients are sure. for obvious reasons. Um, but, you know, we go walk through Walmart on a Saturday, you know, one, two, three, yep. four. And, you know, she'll be like, how, how many clients do you see? You know, and it's, it's kind of... Over-under, you guys do the over-under? Well, and, the, you know, the other thing I do is, since some of what I do is, is kind of sensitive, uh, domestic litigation, you know, sometimes you see somebody out, and they don't want people to know that you know so them. So you don't even say, hey. I don't say, hey, most of the time. Yeah. It's uh, just one of those southern yeah, nods. Well, yeah. I, and I may not even nod, you know, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, it, if there is something, it's real subtle unless they approach me and say, hey, Andrew, how you doing? Or, hey, Andrew, I meant to call you and ask you this question. Um, yeah. Because 
but you know, if you've come to see me for a divorce consultation and you're at Ingalls with your wife you and, and you, and I come up and see you and say, Hey Kyle, it's, it's great to see yeah, you. Yeah. Your wife's going to say, how do you know him? You can't tell your wife. Well, I went the to podcast. see him. I can't, <laughs> you know, I went to see him for a divorce consultation, you, you know? Don't so, ask me any questions. Yeah. I, I, I try and keep my mouth shut I, on stuff like that. I publicly. get that. I get that. So besides helping people, what was another, was it the money? Was it attractive or you just knew? Yeah, I, I, I would say the vast majority of it is, is help. Did you get it? No. I see we it too. We got a bug again. <clears throat> anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to distract you. But I, I would say the vast majority of it was, was helping. I mean, when you're, when you're working at a law firm in a small town, I, I, I think there's a misconception of how much money we make. I, I don't think any of the, the attorneys in Oconee County are making the money that people think we're making. You I think you're not pulling that 460 a year? N- no. No. <laughs> no. 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 Okay. Uh, you know, I, I, have, I have done divorces, which you've got to give a full financial disclosure sure. for people at Duke that make close to triple what I make. I mean, if, yeah. and, and some in the trades too. You yeah, know, yeah. I've, I've had, you know, plumbers and welders in making excellent money, more, more than I make. Yeah. That's why they're getting do you, do you think there's a trade-off there, though, where you don't have to, you know, you maybe don't have the, the stress of those that maybe make more in a large firm? Yeah, and I, I would say one of the, the added benefits, in, in addition to kind of the family atmosphere of the law firm, is there's no billable minimum. You know, if you work at one of those larger law firms, and, and don't quote me on this, it's something like, 18,000 hours a year. I don't know how that actually breaks down, but for whatever reason, that number sticks in my head. You have to bill that much in order for you to participate. No, that's not right. Maybe no. To get to get the company car? Like, are there incentive perks if you bill 18, enough hours? 1,800 maybe a year. And so that's like five hours a day. It's, that's 1,800 divided by 365. Wait a minute, wait a minute, are you running the clock for the podcast? Because <laughs> I know what you charge me on an hourly rate, yeah. dude. Well, that was a great podcast. <laughs> we'll see y'all next time. So does do all law firms put uh, like performance metrics? Like, okay, guys, team meeting. This quarter we need 20 more billable hours every month from everybody in the room. Or Yeah, I, is it run like a business usually? Or do you even know, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely can't speak to all law firms. Sure. Um, the, the larger the firm is, the more analytical they are. Um, you know, with, with our firm, basically it's, you know, here are some very basic expectations, um, you know, go, go meet them, you know, and if you exceed them, um, we, we do have kind of a, a, a bonus structure built in to the compensation yeah. package. I would guess in a small town, you focus more on the customer, uh, relationships versus the, you know, if you're in a big city and you're in a big firm, you're those revolving doors. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like mm-hmm. you're always going to have people coming in. Well, and some of their compensation structure uh, comes from getting cases in the door. I mean, yeah. they have like professional rainmakers who don't actually do the work. They just lock up the contract. But they're exactly they're generating the work. I'd be a jerk. No, I'd be great at that. Yeah. But but basically, they're the way that they have their compensation structured. Um, they they can just have twenty associates under them. Yeah. And they're just bringing in the work. The associates are doing the work. And they, they get credit for it. Jared would see people fighting on the street. He'd be like, hey, you want a divorce? <laughs> <laughs> or somebody would slip and fall. Man, there enough, my... There's enough billboards on 85 for people like that, though. Well, and that's one of the things. Back to your, your point a minute ago, you know, we don't really advertise aside from, you know, donations. You know, we, we donate to a couple of organizations, the Sheriff's Foundation, Grace's Closet, uh, myself and, and uh, our managing partner, Emma Morris, She's on the board of Grace's Closet. I'm on the board of the Sheriff's Foundation. You know, and there's a handful of other charities that we'll donate to, and then we get some sort yeah. of sponsorship marketing material. But aside from that, we don't market. So yeah. it's all word of mouth. It's all maintaining our reputation. Well, in, a, in a small town, too, it's easy to have uh, lifetime clients. Exactly. You know, you, you treat somebody right, they're always going to use you. It's kind of like the whole it's real word estate. Word of mouth. Yeah, it's the, it's the real estate agent model, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 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 Well, and I mean, our, our senior partner, Jim Williams, uh, this year, I think next, uh, November, will have been practicing for, for 50 years. You know, and so there, there are people that he was working for in the 70s that I'm still doing work for their 
them or the, their kids or their grandkids. Somebody, I mean, yeah. and it, it just generationally yeah. um, sticks with us. You know, we, we like to say that we charge a fair rate. We do what we say we're going to do. We try and do it as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, and, and we're honest about it. Yeah. And yeah, so that goes a long ways. Yeah. All right. Speaking of going a long ways, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and find out what the best part about your job is. Stay tuned. Let's face it, shopping for insurance can be time consuming. When it comes to your auto and home insurance needs, make things simple and trust your Allstate experts. They will help you get the coverage that fits your needs while helping you bundle your auto and home. Bundling saves money, sure, but it also saves you time. So, you can enjoy the things that matter most even more. Contact Clemson Allstate agent Shane Smith at 864-654-1047 today for a free personalized insurance proposal. Allstate, are you in good hands? And we're back with Andrew Holiday, attorney at law. Thanks again for taking some of your time out for us today. Yeah, we talk about, uh, I think everybody listen, listening on the podcast has used a lawyer at some point in their life, whether it's to buy their first home or close a business deal down, but not all that uh, comes with your position is easy, right? You see couples crying, they're splitting estates in half, families going separate ways, it's very stressful. How do you handle that? How do you shut the door of your office, go home and be a strong husband and a father? Do you ever take work home with you where it's just like, don't mess with me now? Or do you have a, a process after work that you're just like decompress? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be lying to say that I'd never take it home. Um, but I would say it's it's pretty rare. Um, and, and sometimes I'll get home and I'll be like, Val, I need a minute. Um, it was it was really challenging when we lived in, in Seneca proper, uh, or well, just outside, uh, and I had an eight-minute commute. Um, having a 30-minute commute. It kind of wears off a little bit. Yeah, having a, having a 30-minute commute uh, with effectively no traffic uh, back back up to Salem to the river. Um, and kind of being in that serene environment certainly helps. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, that's one way. Um, and, and I would say part of it is just having an amazing partner, having, having a great spouse. Yeah. Um, you know, she, she understands sometimes I, I need, need a couple minutes when I get home. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you see some, some heartbreaking case um, with a kid that's being abused in a, in a DSS situation or, or something like that. Um, yeah, you, you take some of that home with you. I would uh, I would think too that tough. maybe maybe the the mental uh, I'm trying to think how to word this the mindset that you put yourself in while you're at work could also help I would guess because if you're in the mindset that I'm helping everybody regardless of what they're going through it could be really tough for them but if your mindset is that I'm helping these people I'm doing something for them mm-hmm. I'm getting them through this it makes it easier then to go home you know because you don't you don't necessarily take their grieving because mm-hmm. you feel good about what you did. You, you're helping these folks. So you're, you're taking that home and you feel, you actually could be the opposite, I would guess. Unless you're a public defender. Yeah. Like, did you have to do any public defender work where you just knew that the guy was guilty, but the state pays you to be there because he doesn't have representation? Yeah, like, nope. I couldn't. I, I have friends like that. You know, we, we talked about that uh, yesterday. You yeah. know, and that Derek Bush, the guy that, that got me to Seneca and, and kind of how, how I wound up in Oconee County. Um, he, he felt the call after being with, with Paul for two years. And, and he said, the, the Lord put, put a call on my heart. I, I got to go be a public defender. Yeah. Um, and he's still a public defender to this day in Aiken. Um, we still have our Tuesday night Bible studies. We, we do on Zoom with, mm-hmm. because people are all over the state and then a handful of out of state. Um, but that's, that's something he felt called to do. Yeah. That's important. Everybody's entitled to, to, a, a, a defender. Yep. Um, but that person is not me. I've I've never done that. I've never had the desire to do that. But yeah, it, it's definitely an important part of the the, definitely, the system. Definitely important. But man, it'd be tough. It would be tough. Because I'd be the, like, what is the John Grisham like, book? Dude, you are lying to me right now. Where the the guy shot the um, other guys that raped his daughter, and, was, and they made it into a movie with Samuel L. Jackson and Matthew McConaughey. A time to kill. Right? Yeah, that's one of those positions where, dude, I know you did it. I get why you did it, but we still, you, these guys are still entitled to a fair trial because yeah. they committed a crime too. You know, I'd be just tough to separate that, that piece. Yeah. What is, uh, what's your favorite thing about what you do? My, my favorite thing is helping small businesses. So, I mean, we're, we're a general practice firm. Um, 
you know, we, we don't do criminal defense. We don't do bankruptcy. We don't do like social security disability work. Um, but we do basically everything else. It's, it's impossible to truly specialize in something, um, in a community as small as Seneca, in a community as small as Oconee County, it's, it's just not going to happen. You're it's not going to specialize and do one thing. Not enough work. Um, not enough so the, whole, the whole office does this thing? Or just your desk does, like, risk litigation, structure of business? Yeah, um, I would say Emmy does a, a little bit. Um, Emmy does all my real estate stuff, for sure. Right. But she, she does a little bit of corporate work. She does some estate planning as well. Um, but, but most of the corporate I do. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my, my favorite thing to, mm-hmm. to yeah. your question. Um, just, just to kind of structure a deal, mitigate risk, um, and, and kind of help small businesses and, yeah. and kind of the litigation part of what I do allows me to, to kind of know where the common pitfalls are. Um, and see where things have gone bad before. Yeah, you know, and I can tell a client, "Hey, you I really you don't want to do this because <laughs> I I've see s- a lot of that." Yeah, this this could be uh, very expensive for you if we if we write it the way you want it to be written. Right, you step in and give the other options. Right. It's up up to them at the end of the day to make their own decision. But right, you know, you're providing a better solution. Yeah, and I mean, there's a there's a handful of uh, of local companies that we're not like on the books general counsel, but. Mm-hmm. That's effectively what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not there on a day-to-day basis, um, but it's it's frequent and and it's enjoyable. You know, I I love working for our for our business clients. Um, Always something different going on. Correct. Always something different going on, and and you get to see the value you provide more so than in in kind of a you know here's your will. Yeah. You know you you you're you're helping them build something, um, and that's. That's what's enjoyable to me, um, is is building things. Kind of. I, I, yeah. Did he tell you that it, I like cars? No. Oh yeah. So Andrew, tell us your favorite hobby. <laughs> I, I, I I'm a race car driver in that, the cars. Supports, that supports my racing by practicing law. There you go. <laughs> hey, it sounds like a good plan to me. You practice law just to race. That's it. <laughs> That's it. We were going through some pictures at our meeting yesterday of him flying around the track sideways in his car. It was pretty interesting. You know, he's got a, went to his house one day and he's got his simulator. It's just like, oh, that's awesome. I've been wanting to build one of those. These things are, it was, I should have built it. He's into it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I got a store bought one if you want to like Copy look it. at it. Basically. I mean, I, you know, I got to, my thoughts is like, I was going to build one, but you still got to buy the pedal cluster. You still got to buy the steering because, I mean, that's where all of it's at. The good ones. Yeah. You that's know, you what get, you ought to do to the big right, they, they have just like put a screen in one, the windshield once I'm done and with on it. the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Turn it into once, a simulator. Once you have it driving, turn it into it something drives. that doesn't drive. Yeah. It drives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, so smart. <laughs> once it needs to be a wall ornament. Have you? Are you? Are you um, immune to being called to jury duty? No, I. You can I, absolutely I, serve on jury duty. I beg the clerk. I'm, 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 I'm dead serious. I mean, I, I would love to know what happens behind those doors um, because that's one of the things I tell my clients. It's uh, like. You know, if you settle a case, you kind of control your own destiny. You know, you, you have a definite outcome. If you leave it up to 12 people, you could get zero. You get a million dollars. You yeah. get somewhere in between. I have no idea what those 12 people are going to do. Yeah. You know, all we can do is, is pray, basically, yeah. at that point. Man, and that rush from the doors closed to the jury announcement is like the gap from when you let the dice go at the craps table and they stop. No, we probably should stop talking about that. Yeah. Oh, but anyway. we just need to put him on retainer to sit in the corner every episode. Say, like, <laughs> for a podcast that doesn't get edited, yeah, this one may. All right, okay. So let's talk about. I want to. I want to kind of know, and I know I'm wrong in this way, but like when it comes to structuring businesses, is there an advantage to having like an umbrella company that has then LLCs underneath it, or you know, like. It, say I own 10 properties that are all investment properties. Do all those need to be in separate LLCs so they're all protected versus them all being in one where if someone were to come after me, they could take them all type of deal? Let me give you the most lawyerly answer ever. Yeah. It depends. It depends. <laughs> we went through this yesterday, but same exact question. I'm going to restructure everything in the first quarter of next year, and he's my phone call. And we just kind of dabbled in it yesterday until we realized that we couldn't do it at the at the table at the restaurant we were eating. I need a dry erase board. 
Gotcha. So it does depend on for case your, by case. For your but, empire. Yeah, but go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so so there there is no um, end-all, be-all strategy. You know, it, it, it depends on your situation, what you own, what your goals are. Um, and, and the other thing to keep in mind is there is no asset shield that will 100% protect anything. And I, I hate to sound like a shill for insurance companies, insurance brokers, um, because I, I have my frustrations with them. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's your first line of defense. And so every small business owner should be evaluating what their insurance covers, what it doesn't cover, what, what coverages should they get. Um, and, and that's a conversation, um, you know, that I, I don't necessarily facilitate, but I definitely ask those questions to small business owners of, you know, well, here's kind of where I see your risk. Do you have coverage for this, this, and this? Yeah. Because insurance companies really don't like to pay out claims if they don't have to. They like to charge as much in premiums and, yeah, yeah. and keep claims as low as possible, and that delta is their profit. Yeah, that's how they make money. And, and so uh, you, you should, your first line of defense is your insurance. You should make sure that something that you're doing every day or at least kind of regularly isn't somehow excluded in your policy. Right. So, so that's, that's always where I start with that is do you have coverage? Do you have enough coverage? Right. But then, yes, um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense um, for business owners to have kind of a siloed approach. Um, you know, there are some business owners that run everything through one company, um, and it's, and it's worked for them for 30, 40 years or, or however long, and they don't want to change it. Yeah. But, you know, if I was coming in on day one and telling you, this is how you should structure it. Do you, do you want me to go into that kind that'd of? Be, yes, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically I would silo it. And I, I'm not sure I would silo it. Every single property has its own LLC. That that's a practice. That's something that that is taught yeah. um, from an asset protection strategy. But there there's a legal theory known as piercing the corporate veil that says so if, if you've got a company that's undercapitalized, that LLC can be pierced, and so you could get to the the parent of that company or to the individual owner of that company. Not if I start that company in Delaware or Nevada, correct? There, there are some states that, that do have uh, some, some better asset protection laws than South Carolina. Yeah, and I've got, as far as the insurance goes, you're absolutely right, because, I mean, I love my agent. He's one of the best in the business, but I've got umbrellas on my umbrellas, like, just yeah. in case, because I'm not losing anything. Yeah. Like, when that first million runs out, the next two million kicks in. But, I mean, we pay to play <laughs> just to protect ourselves really yeah and my thing is you know i'm not trying to like get out of something but like you know if if there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it i want to make sure i'm doing it the right way i look at andrew's you know hourly cost for what he does for us as an investment yeah because after restructure we will come i'll pay him for his services but i will save much more than what he charged me over the the long term yeah, just to it structure it and it's done correctly. properly because we move so fast. I mean, we've just bought properties. And just oh, there's a holding company. Just put it under that one. Let's move. Let's go to get the next one. Well, now it's all caught up, and I just got like a big ball of real estate here. We need to restructure. Yeah, and so now what about trusts? What's your you know? Because I know that there's you know you see these things or I have at least on Instagram or whatever, and it's like yeah, you do build a trust. You know, the government can't do something they didn't create, blah, blah, blah. You know, hear all this stuff. Like, are you truly prote protected in a trust? Uh, you know, I've seen some similar things on social media. Um, I hate to say that it's all BS, but a, but a chunk of it's, it's BS. Probably. Um, <laughs> Imagine know, that. Yeah. Now, yeah. now a, a trust is great for a handful of reasons. It's private. It, so it never has to go through probate. Right. You just, yeah. So, like, if I were to die, I could have my kids as beneficiaries, beneficiaries of the trust. They would mm -hmm. then take over instantly. Well, you've got you've got two different uh, people that wear hats in in trust. You've got beneficiaries, the people that wind up with the assets, yeah. and the trustee, the person who's in charge, Who controls it. Okay. So those those don't have to be um, the you know, same. It, well, yeah, exactly. But they're they're also not exclusive. So I mean, you could um, you could have a beneficiary that's also a trustee. Um, another thing is, it's way quicker to administer a trust, assuming there isn't some sort of time constraint in the trust. Um, than it is to go through probate. 
Yeah. And and typically what I tell clients is the, the break even there is about a net worth of a half a million dollars because I think it's at 600000 uh, at probate. You, you wind up going up on a sliding scale on a, a small percentage of what the estate is worth. So South Carolina doesn't have an estate tax, but we kind of do with our probate fee. Um, gotcha. Because it is conditioned on the, the value of that estate. estate. And so you, you can avoid that. And, and so the, the break even, you know, I've had people that have come in and they had maybe a net worth of 200000 and somebody had told them, I, I, you've got to get a trust. And so, like I said, we, our reputation, our business depends on being trusted. And so if I told somebody, you know, with a net worth in, in that ballpark, you know, yeah, what you need is a trust and we're going to sell it to you for, you know, a, a, a pour over will, a trust, a power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, you know, a couple grand or yep. at least a grand. Um, I'm, I'm ripping them off because they're not getting the value it'd out of less, the trust. It'd be less to go through pro- probate. Although Correct. The, the problem I see with probate is that if you don't have it specifically outlined perfectly, they then take it in, they don't take your estate and break it up based on how they feel like it's supposed to by the law. So you'd that, have to that's basically. fairly rare, but. Is it? Yeah. Because I would, you know, if you don't have it just right, when it goes to probate, they're going to be like, no, by the law, this is what we have to do. We're going to yeah. do so this and this. Is, and this. is that true if, if, if I, I do? But if I didn't have a will and my wife and I die in a car wreck, Megan and I just get in a horrific car wreck and we both die, and there was no will, mm-hmm. even though we've got living you know, nieces and nephews and next of kin, does all my stuff just separate from the government? Nope, sits in probate. No, no. so that, that is another pretty big misconception about probate and what happens to assets when you pass away. So that, that legal theory is called achievement. So what, what basically that says is if you have zero heirs, then yeah, it becomes the property of the state. The, the problem with that is the way that, and, and what is called when you pass away without a will, it's called intestate. So the way that the intestacy law works is it says, we're going to look down the family tree. And, uh, we're going to, exactly. Yeah. And if there's nobody, there's no kids, and there's no grandkids, there's, there's no lineage, no heirs at all then we're going to go back up and it's going to go to your parents. If your parents have deceased, uh, is that federal or is that state to state? That's state to state. Okay. So that's how South so Carolina here, works. So it's, it is a myth that says, Oh, your state's going to auction it off to the lowest yeah. highest yeah. bidder and, and it disappears. So it, they do go down first and then up next. Correct. Yeah. And I, I, it is theoretically possible that it goes to the state, but it would have to be a very bizarre situation. So what you're saying is get a will. Oh, yeah, for sure. 100%. Yeah, for sure. We ought yeah. to do like an Instagram. We ought to pick different, you know, advice from people and debunk true or false. Oh, yeah. You know, that'd be good. we'd have to set, set some time aside, but that, that'd be awesome because I'll, you'd be surprised how many people take advice from an Instagram reel. That is completely oh, yeah. false. Usually it just I don't know that I would be surprised based on what I hear in my office. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> based on what you heard at lunch yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Usually that sparks my interest, and then I kind of dig deeper, you know. Mm-hmm. I looked into gun trust for a long time, you know. I, yeah. That's something that I thought I needed to do for a while. Well, once upon a time, it was beneficial. Yeah. And it, it still is if there's a handful of people that you want to be able to have access to NFA items. That's the problem with me is that I currently have NFA items, and if something happened to me, they're, they're instantly illegal for my wife to have. Right. Oh, really? Instantly. Yeah. She cannot possess it. She'd have to turn it back in. So like, the, oh, so if you pass away, they're going to knock on her door and say, well, we need these 17 they, items. They wouldn't necessarily knock on the door, but she, her she's, a, it, she's a felon overnight. Yeah, she, her being <laughs> in go, possession. Boy. I know. You made her an outlaw. Her being in possession of those makes her makes her a felon or it makes it illegal. But if I had a gun trust yep. and she was on that trust, mm-hmm. the second, the trust owns the stamp mm-hmm. or the, 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 the yeah. tax stamp, tax yeah. stamp or yeah. whatever it is that the feds want. The, oh, the you trust did the legal way to get all the, oh, okay. No, you, he, he's saying he put it in his individual name. Yeah. I put it in my individual yep. name. Right. Which, which used to be uh, a huge pain. Um, you had to, with the trust, you didn't have to get the uh, chief law enforcement officer's uh, permission. Think, yes. And, and individually, you did. Now, granted, we have a great sheriff here, and we never had that problem, yeah. to the best of my knowledge. I, know, I didn't have any trouble with it. But, you know, that's one of the things that they, that they changed is they said there's no more requirement for 
the chief law enforcement officer to, to sign off on this, uh, basically they just have to be notified. Yeah, across their disk. So can you sell one of those items? Nope. We- you, can you, you sell the? You, is it set up where? Couldn't couldn't you sell it to a? I, to could, an, uh, I could. This is what have to happen. Yes, this is what, this is how it would have to go. If I were going to sell you one of those items, mm-hmm. I would have to sell it to somebody who is uh, like a like a gun shop or whatever. A broker. A broker. Somebody with an FFL. Yeah, they would hold that until you got your stamp on that item, yeah. and then they can hand that item to you. What if you put all that in an LLC? Can you just sell the LLC and have that no. as the asset? No. No, you have to be a trust. Might be a, a lawyer, dude. I don't think so because an LLC. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. Either. I don't know that you could get a stamp with an LLC. I think you could only do it with a trust or an individual. So they always maybe, try to find a workaround. I've never looked into it that yeah. much because um, I lost all my firearms in a fishing accident on Lake Chukasi. <laughs> <laughs> I was on the same boat, man. <laughs> I was on the See, same boat. Yeah. I don't have anything. <laughs> I lost them all but one. Interesting. Yeah, you've already said. Yeah. Right. And now I, now I have this recorded. So, you know, <laughs> there's another edit. If they listen, if they come back to get mine, I got the one still, so they can have it. That's right. <laughs> I'm staying out of this whole thing, man. I'm just over here listening. Uh, I try to do everything strictly by the law. Me too. I mean, I got my concealed weapons. I got did the whole nine yards, you know. See, say, some people say don't do that. I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that paper trail. That's, that's what I've heard. People don't want the paper trail. I don't want the paper trail. I hadn't bought I, I won a gun at a charity auction for veterans. Yeah. And I wish I wouldn't have won it because I had to go to the gun shop, fill out the paperwork, yeah. receive the, the firearm. So now they know I have No, one. they don't. No, they don't. That's the interesting thing about that is that that 4473 never really leaves the gun shop. Mm-hmm. Oh. This is the thing. When there's you, no registry. There's no registry. That's, the, that's a myth. At least Good in South that. Carolina. And so, well, I think it's – Maybe California, some states do it. Maybe California does. But when you go to buy a firearm, all they're doing is make all they're doing is doing a background check and it just comes back yes or no. Mm -hmm. There's no database that you're goes into and he bought a 12 gauge this, that. None of that happens. There's probably a database that says this was just run through Nick. He applied it. He applied for a firearm on X date Mm -hmm. and he was approved. Right. But the serial number, gun type, none of that stuff shows up. Quantity. I don't believe any of that shows up. No. But now you're right. It does usually stay at the right. place and where the you bought ATF it. can come audit that whenever they yes, want. Yes, they could come p- pull those papers and say, hey, Jared bought this firearm on this date. I need to see that paperwork. Of course they would. Yeah. ATF. But We thing, love you guys. Just saying. Yeah, well, the thing is, to, and well, it's not the ATF's to, fault. To like our friends at Fort Meade who are definitely not listening. <laughs> yeah. You'd be surprised. Um, my thing with the whole deal is, you know, you could sell that. So even though they go to the gun shop and they say this paperwork and they, yeah, I sold that to some guy on Facebook or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, like you, there's no law against you selling it right now. I don't think they're talked about it for a long time, mm-hmm. but you could sell that. You could go to the, you could go to the gun show in Greenville. I think it'd be different if you knew somebody was a felon, you know, Correct. and you, and you transferred it to a prohibited person. Right. But there's, no law that, there's no law that says that because I can't run a background check on you. I don't know if you got a felon or if, not. If it's your brother and you know your brother just got out of the pokey, yeah. you're going to jail. He might need a gun, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I might need 600 bucks. I mean, <laughs> I'm just telling you, if, if, if it's something that yeah, obvious yeah, where yeah. they can prove you knew you transferred it to a prohibited person, you're, you got a problem. Yeah, but do, I call, no, do I call you at that nope. point? Okay. <laughs> no, call me. <laughs> You're liable. Shoot. No pun intended. No, yeah, I mean, I, but but yeah, to to your point, I mean, there's there's no obligation to conduct that background check because you're not an FFL. I mean, right. it's a it's a private sale. I have no reason to believe that you're a felon. I don't believe you're a felon. Uh, please tell me you're not a felon. Yeah. Um, and so I could sell you a gun. Yeah, he. Yeah, I mean, I sold that gun to this guy. He traded me two chainsaws, a six pack of Red Bull. <laughs> but I don't have any guns because they're at the bottom of Lake. That's Chicago. exactly right. This is a deep lake too. It's not the only thing at the bottom of that lake. There's a lot of stuff back oh, there. Oh yeah, for sure. So, yeah. So, help helping small businesses is definitely something to highlight. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's really entertaining. Um, to, to build something, you know, that's something I, I hear y'all talking about pretty, pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and to the passion in cars, you know, yeah. I, I, I love working with my hands. Um, and so that's kind of a, and 
an outlet for me. To break uh, free from the all the other stuff you have to deal with. Yeah. Do you have a watch passion like Kyle does? <sighs> I love a watch. I do now. What are you rolling with right there? This is a Breitling Navi. Nice. 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 But yeah, this is a this is a recent thing. Um, yeah, I've always loved them. Um, Jared called me out one day on a podcast. <laughs> I don't even know what podcast it was. It's early on. E- episode he was ten. Bragging about his watch. No, 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 no. I wasn't bragging. I just said I love, I love a good timepiece or something like that. Yeah. And he goes, I looked over and he wasn't even wearing a watch. And he goes, What are you wearing today? And I was like. You got me. touche, <laughs> touche. He's had a watch on a different watch for every episode since. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, you're a watch guy, aren't you? See, everybody's a watch guy. Me, uh, Megan bought this as a wedding present. It's just the only watch I got. Never been a true collector. Now it is a very nice watch, mm-hmm. but I got to remember if I'm working on a tractor or something, I got to take that one off. It's yep. not my work watch. Yep. Nothing. So that was yep. that was the weirdest thing being at the racetrack, and you know is. I, w- I was wearing it when I got there, and frankly, I probably should have just left it at home. Um, and, you know, taking it and locking it in, like, the center console of the truck and, and then going and working on the car mm-hmm. or hopping on the racetrack yep. um, and then then having to, you know, make make sure it was safe. Are you a collector like, of anything else? Bourbon. Bourbon, for sure. A um, collector or a connoisseur? Both. I would not classify myself as a connoisseur of bourbon. Um, it's like the the... Stuff, stuff that uh, we're drinking today is yeah, delicious, yeah. but I, I can't tell you a, what it, what the notes are. Understood. Or, I mean, I could make some stuff up. And yeah. Say, oh yeah. So it's some very nice caramel. So you got like a shelf of you know you're, collectibles you're, that. Not a connoisseur, a consumer. Yeah. 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 Uh, I would say I would. There you go. Yeah. Not yeah, consumer, but, but not I collector. Definitely, I definitely do collect. I mean, there's some stuff that I have that yeah. I don't drink, or it's being saved for specific special occasions. I got yeah. a bottle that when John was born. Uh, that that we opened and everybody that was there uh, when we brought him home from the hospital, everybody had a glass. We signed the bottle. We've sealed it back up, and we're going to open it on its 21st birthday. That's awesome. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But the good thing about bourbon, cigars, it's all wine. Mm-hmm. Technically, nobody can tell you what you like or what you taste. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, like you say, you could make it up. But if you if you truly taste that, who's to say you don't? Yeah. Right? Like, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not sophisticated enough to yeah. even attempt to make it up. I, I guess, yeah. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is I don't think you have to be sophisticated. I think you To just, enjoy what you want. If you just like it, right. you like it. Well, right? it's like Greg Kutu. Oh, was it Greg that brought in the three samples? Yeah. yeah. And he brought in some cheap stuff. He brought in some very, very expensive stuff. Yep. You know? I, I leaned It was towards, all good. I, I, for you, it was all good. Oh, yeah. I leaned for one. It was just, you know, middle of the road. But I don't, I don't have that, that uh, palate either for bourbon. Yeah. Shout out to Jeffrey Rochester. He's the one that brought this. Uh, he did. One fourteen. Yeah. Yeah, and then I I have a car problem too, um, and that's that's collectively with my brother and my father. Um, we've got a nineteen sixty six uh, Mustang on the lift in Traveler's Rest right yeah. now that we're that we're going through and and bringing back to life. We we got it cranked for the first time in thirty something years. A couple weekends back. Awesome. Um, awesome. You know. Uh, we've got a Ford F1 truck, 1951. Yeah. We've got a Chevy C10 truck, uh, 19. And then we get into kind of my passion, which uh, thanks to Jim Williams, which uh, I'm not sure my wife is ever going to forgive him, but he's, he's, sure. a, he's, a, he's a senior <laughs> partner at our firm that so kind of have a choice. Val, you don't have a choice. Got, got me into racing. Um, and so we've got two race cars. Um, I think my brother and I are going to go look at a third on Saturday. Yeah, that, that might might kind of racing might need you to do. come home. So it's uh, it's sanctioned by HSR, which is Historic Sports Car Racing. That's owned by IMSA. Okay. Um, it, is that like what are they? The what is that the old um, racing they used to do? The Trans Am series that's similar to like that. They do not run with TA. So TAs run with SVRA, yeah. which is a kind of. Different competitor yeah. uh, sanctioning body, um, but but some of the old Trans Am cars, say from the seventies, do run in HSR. So it crosses over. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, it's a it's vintage racing. Yeah. So that can mean anything from a let's see, we're in 20, 2018, you know, GT three car to 
you know, the car my brother drives, which is a 1959 Austin Healey Sprite. That's awesome. So, I mean. You say 2018 is vintage. Dude. Yeah, yeah. So the, the the rule right now with HSR for that series of GT3, GT4, TCR cars, five years. For <laughs> yeah. the actual vintage, is twenty. Yep. Which is listen, but, twenty years goes like I was thinking yeah, about that's my a truck. Two thousand three. There was there was a uh, Intrepid, I think. Yep. <laughs> Dodge that, Intrepid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and there was uh, Acura Integra. I it's think vintage. I, yeah, Golly yeah, day. yeah. Running this uh, last weekend at Road Atlanta, you yeah. could foot like, race. Huh? <laughs> you could foot race. You're vintage. <laughs> Take the bibs. Does that count? What year is it? It's a eighty something. I think that would be called the highly modified class. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things is is basically all of these cars are supposed to run like they ran then. Yeah. So so we're running to sixties SCCA regs. Some safety upgrades and then, that's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've got to have fire suppression. They've got to have full roll cage. Um, you know, you can add as much safety stuff. You can add as much weight as you want. Yeah. Uh, there's minimum weight. Um, but, but basically, I'm running two SU carburetors that aren't terribly different from stock. But he's, he's also open air with a helmet outside of his car yeah. and a little horseshoe behind yeah. his neck. Yeah, that's real men drive those kind of cars. It's, that's crazy. Uh, it's like old, car, old sprint car. It's not real safe. <laughs> you got a wheel I got a guy <laughs> man do you have any advice we're going to wrap this up a little bit do you have any advice for uh, 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 this is going to be a, a stretch here one do you have any advice for somebody who wants to be a lawyer they're in high school or they're in law school currently I would uh, my number one piece of advice for somebody that wants to be an attorney is Go try and intern, shadow, do something. That's something that, that we've offered before to students. Um, but most people that want to be a lawyer have no idea what it looks like. And, and frankly, I'm, I'm a victim or however you want to classify that. You know, I, I didn't really know what the day-to-day grind of being a lawyer looked like when I went to law school. All you know is what um, you see on TV. Yeah, and I, I don't even think most yep. of that is accurate. You know, we were talking yeah. before, before we got started you know, of, of how it recently got turned on to, to suits. Um, but the vast majority of what you see on TV is nonsense Yeah. in terms of... <laughs> they leave know, out all the reading you have to do. They, well, Research. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Writing. Yeah, they didn't show one whole season that was one deposition. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's how much time it takes. Yeah. Like, girl, I cannot recall at this time. <laughs> I've only got three depositions next week. Oh, Monday, God. Tuesday, and Thursday. Oh, so, I feel for you. It's a long week next week. And then what, would, what advice would you have for somebody who just graduated law school, got a job in their first year, hires? Their first year. Yeah, they're in a law firm now. They just graduated. Like, they're kind of scared. Yeah, Is do you it, have, like, an aha moment? I would say one of the best pieces of advice is I got from my father-in-law, who who was an attorney uh, for 25-ish years before going back to school and being a middle school teacher, of all things. Um, but but one of the things he told me was, you know, pay, pay attention to all the details. Pay attention to um, your work product. Make sure it's as good as you can get it because your next job's probably going to come from somebody that you're, that you're fighting or somebody that um, knows your reputation. And so it's, it's really important. I mean, it, it, the practice of law is like most things these days where you don't clock in at 22 and clock out of the same company yeah. at 65 with your, with your you know, gold watch or what, whatever your, your retirement present is. You know, it, we're, we're a mobile society. You move around mm-hmm. um, and your reputation matters and, and your next job's probably going to depend on it if you're a 20 let's see, you're 25-ish when you get out of law school. So let's see, a couple of years after your first job out of law school, your, your next job's probably going to be dependent on your reputation. It's probably going to be dependent on your work product. Um, and it's probably not going to be dependent on your GPA. Yep. So, Amen. So you got to pay attention to the small stuff um, sure. in the beginning. you got to put in long hours in the beginning. Um, they don't get really any shorter. Oh, it's, it's just like entrepreneurship. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Like everything you just said should be just the standard yeah. of all business. You know what I heard? And he said reputation, but I felt like the networking side, like whoever you're meeting while you're in that law firm, who, that that next person could have a company and they want to have a full-time corporate attorney. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, 
We want that, you on board. This guy that, whooped us on the last one. Yeah. We're going to hire him yeah, and yeah. fire our current. Yeah. That, that for sure happens, um, especially in bigger firms that are, you know, kind of the, the, the proving ground for in-house counsel. Yep. Um, you might be outside counsel for two, three, five years, and then the company says, hey, why don't you come work for us? We'll put you on the payroll, and basically all you do is our stuff. Yeah, you just look over everything we do. Right. Yeah. And that's I've got a buddy from law school that has done that now at a couple of companies, but one that uh, went public, and, and basically he got an exit out of that, and he moved on to another company, um, and he's been very successful in-house. But he got his start as outside counsel at a larger firm. Yeah. Um, I can see that. You said something that gave me a really good idea, and I... It happens. I won't even I charge you. It. <laughs> like, I'll take we 10%. Talking, we were talking about outside counsel, general counsel. There's any gravy on the top, I'll take it, you know. But. <laughs> well, we'll come back to your thought process. So, um, if somebody is looking to restructure or needing a corporate attorney or any sort of your expertise field, how can they find you? Yeah, so uh, we're on the web. Uh, we have a very, very limited, uh, you know, Marketing, as I said earlier. Word of mouth. DRWMlaw.com. DRWM. Yeah. Delta, Romeo, Whiskey, Mike, Lima, Alpha, Whiskey.com. Not spelled out. (laughs) (laughs) Just the letters. That's awesome. Andrew, this has been great. Any closing closing arguments? I'm I'm good. What's the legal term for that? Uh, We are adjourned. I rest my case, Your Honor. (laughs) I rest my case. get to say that (laughs) all right andrew holiday i appreciate your time as always my friend good good to have you on the podcast so we'll see you guys uh, next time see you